Alex Smith, we're going to do something different on today's show. It's not something we ever really do on a Monday. We're not going to be reviewing everything that happened on Sunday because you were on assignment. So what was the assignment? Who was your assignment? Part of my duties is now as a, as a media member with ESPN, besides you know this and, and Monday Night Countdown, is I occasionally get to do these QB to QB interviews. And it's uh, obviously really weird for me to sit on that side of the chair and have to think about these interview questions. Yes. Pablo, I have a lot of empathy for, <laughs> for what it's like to be you. Finally. Thank you. And the art, <laughs> the art of a good interview. I am an artist. Thank you for recognizing this. And uh, this week was awesome. Obviously, leading up to the Monday night game, Bengals-Browns, I got to head out to Cincinnati and sit down with Joe Burrow. All right, Joe. Dude, thanks, man, for uh, sitting down with us. I'm obviously a huge fan of his in a lot of different ways, not just as a player, but I just think he's a, he's incredibly unique this day and age. There's so many polished and, and, and reserved guys up at the podium, and Joe just has this refreshing honesty about him. They're definitely real. I think <laughs> I make too much money to have fake ones, so, you know, these are real. <laughs> so it was cool to sit down and for me to kind of scheme up an interview uh, it, you know, for him. Yeah, I mean, you've schemed up interview questions for Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and all these guys, but I do want to remind our audience here where you were just two years ago, right? Because you were still playing in the NFL. And we've talked about your leg injury, your comeback from that injury. And again, as always, I encourage anybody who has not familiarized themselves with that story to check out Project 11. But your first start back at home that year in Washington, in that comeback, you find yourself going head-to-head with a rookie Joe Burrow. Do you remember anything from how that game went? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I actually, as I was getting ready for the interview, I realized I've, I've actually never met Joe. And you're totally right. My first start back at Washington, at FedEx Field after my injury, was against Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. And here comes Alex Smith. As he comes off back-to-back 300-yard passing games <laughs> for the first time in his career. Hard to believe. Isn't that incredible? You know, get back, almost not be able to walk again and then just get out there and start dealing. Incredible hey, no story. No story. So it was a big moment for me. I remember it so vividly. And that happened to be the game that Joe hurt his knee. And after gaining seven yards Uh-oh. on the first play, Joe's Joe hurt. Burrow is down. Joe's hurt. And he's grabbing his left knee oh, and he's God. in pain. Oh, God. Normally, the quarterbacks get to meet after a game. Right. Joe obviously had the severe knee injury against us, so he gets carted off. I never get to see him or say hello. Man, I forgot about that part. Right. Yeah. It's so funny. I mean, the football world is is really small when you think about it, but he and I have so many links, and we're yet we're like 15 years apart, you know, being number one picks. And, you know, it's funny, like the first time I sat down with him, the first thing we, we chatted for, even before we were rolling, is he brought up Urban Meyer. And so he got recruited by Urban Meyer to Ohio State. And Urban's spiel to him when he was recruiting him is, Joe, we think you could be the next Alex Smith. When he was recruiting me, it was always just, you're going to be the next Alex Smith, Alex Smith, Alex Smith. Really? I was like, yeah, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) And he's laughing about this. And he was laughing about how pumped he was as a high school senior. And I couldn't, you know, here he was. Mind you, for me, it's just ironic because this is, I mean, one of the most prolific passers 
in NFL to start a career, right? He just set two NFL records oh, this last week. Right. He has the most 500 yard, four touchdown games in NFL history, meaning he has two. He also <laughs> just set the NFL record of most 400 yard passing games to start a career in his first three seasons. Pablo, I don't think I have a 400-yard passing game in a 16-year in a <laughs> career. Yeah, I mean, you struggled early on in your career. We've talked about that too. Joe Burrow went to the Super Bowl last season, Alex. And there are all of these cosmic connections between the two of you. You were both number one overall picks. He was recruited by Urban Meyer to Ohio State. You famously played for Urban at Utah. We're going to get to that in a little bit here. But I, I want to focus in first on the idea of you in this interview chair, just trying to dissect a quarterback's defense now, having sat where they sat in that dynamic. So what is your approach there? For me, really making them understand that I'm not, these are never like, I'm trying to get you questions. But I really do also want to get to something deeper. I don't want the fluff. I don't want the press conference Joe Burrow, even though he's He's much better than the other guys. No, Joe Burrow in a presser is 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 excellent. He's he's open and insightful about like X's and O's and stuff. But look, man, when you get a cliche, you recognize, I imagine, exactly <laughs> totally. what the strategy is. Totally. There. I was that guy, Pablo. I was the <laughs> like just the spewing nothingness up there, like cliches and like don't give him anything. That's right. Deliberately making my life miserable. Yeah. So now to be on this side, how much I appreciate guys not being like that. So when I do sit down, it's like, how can I get them to kind of obviously get comfortable and trust me and open up a little bit? So still learning a lot. But yeah, I mean, I think that's my angle and what I'm going for. And obviously try to get to something unique as a quarterback to quarterback. So Alex Smith is kind of the Kevin Bacon of the NFL. And after so many Mondays with us in which he dissects what he saw on Sunday, you probably know that by now. You probably know that if you talk to him long enough, you end up realizing that he is this eerily central node in football's social network, just a few degrees away from pretty much everyone. But the reason we're doing a different kind of episode today is that no current player exemplifies that web stretching across the football universe, it turns out, on a number of levels, both social and historical as much as Joe Burrow does. So today, Alex Smith brings us inside the mind of one of the most compelling quarterbacks in the NFL as Burrow tries to save the Bengals season. And we learn how Alex himself might be personally responsible for changing how offense is played. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Monday, October 31st. This is ESPN Daily. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So today is Halloween, Alex. We should acknowledge that up 
at the top here because the Bengals are visiting the Browns to celebrate the holiday on Monday Night Football, but they're doing it having already suffered something terrifying because your conversation with Joe Burrow happened right before the news of Jamar Chase's hip injury, the hip injury that is going to take the best receiver on the Bengals off the field for four to six weeks, reportedly, and we'll get to unpack that together on this show in in a second here. But in some ways, all of this is now that much more interesting and that much more tense. And this was already a story that was both of those things, right? Because the Bengals came into the season, the defending AFC champions. They started off the season with appropriately high expectations. And then they went out and lost to the Steelers and they lost to the Cowboys and they started off 0-2. And so what did Burrow tell you about how all of this began? There's a lot there, you know, to the start of the season. I mean, I think we even have to go back to training camp. I mean, I think we all forget this guy had an appendectomy in the middle of training camp, missed a bunch of time. So you have the uh, the appendectomy in August. Yeah. What, what was it like and how did that affect the start of the season? Yeah, it was tough. You know, I was in the hospital for, for six days. It was uh, not very fun. Missed the next two weeks. Was able to get back to practice after that. Not full go. Uh, so it definitely, you can never get those reps back. And those are reps that uh, you relish to kind of figure out who you are as an offense and you know how you're going to play as a quarterback. If you go back and look at pictures, lost a lot of weight. Mm. And Joe's not a, a huge guy. And you don't play in the preseason. So... I, I think, you know, now to have, look back after seven games and to, to see that his first two, especially that first game, was so rocky against a really good defense, a, a, a Steelers defense that still had T.J. Watt. Right. But a little bit, I, I, I think that was some rust. Burrow fires, intercepted! Picked off in a pick six. Mika Fitzpatrick is an absolute bullhawk. I think that was the Super Bowl hangover. I think that was the appendectomy in camp. I think that, you know, I think that's what kind of showed up on film. And you're right. I mean, to lose their first two, this offensive line that had been totally revamped this offseason had given up 13 sacks in the first two weeks. And it didn't look sustainable. No. Right? I mean, I think for us it, the, the, in the media, they took, I mean, they were the talk of every every get up sports talk show in the morning about how bad they were. Yeah, first take, PTI in the afternoons, yes. all of these shows, all of these shows were throwing dirt on the Bengals because look, when you make the Super Bowl and it's the Cinderella run out of the AFC yeah. and you start 0-2, it, it does look like you're, you're you're choking on expectations. And I know for me, more or less, I did write them off as overrated in my own head. And it was also the nature of it again. 13 sacks. Joe looked like they it, it looked like they couldn't protect him. They have these great weapons. They couldn't use them. And and it was funny for me to go back to after their their week two loss to go to Joe Burrow press conference. For him, it was it was a bit of his relaxed moment. Everyone is is frustrated, but like I said, we're not panicking. Two games in, we got 15 games left. It's all just take a deep breath and relax. We're gonna be fine. We're not worried about it. And I think showed a lot of maturity and was really prophetic because they've obviously since gone on to win four out of the next five. They've been rolling. He's thrown 13 touchdowns and one pick since then. And I think this last week, the offensive performance they put up against the Falcons, I think kind of caught a lot of people's attention around the league and in the yes. media that, hey, I, I think we all forgot these guys are the defending AFC champions. Oh, and two, the sky is falling. Right. And you kind of prophetically, you say like, 
listen, I got it written down, right? Let's just take a deep breath and relax. <laughs> We're going to be fine. Yeah. Since then, you've won four out of five. Like, what's led to that change? We just found out who we were as an offense. You know, offensive line, downhill run game, they're playing great. You know, our running backs in the checkdowns, they're getting us seven, eight yards a checkdown. And then obviously our guys on the outside are going to do what they do. I think we're playing as good as anybody right now. We're starting to, to find our stride, hitting our big shots. So we're going to continue to get better. When you listen to him talk about what changed as an offense, and you having watched these games, having broken down some of the schematically, what has been the biggest difference here? How different are those two versions of the Bengals, the before and the after here? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I think they famously, you know, to go back to the AFC Championship game against the Chiefs and that second half that we talked about so much. Yes. And how did the Bengals beat the Chiefs? And they went to this drop eight conservative coverage and, and make the Chiefs march it down the field and make them sustain drives and really slow down this high-powered offense. Well, it's funny. I think everybody looked at what the Bengals did last year. They were one of the most explosive offenses in the league. But I think teams basically... You you know used their 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 same philosophy against them. All of a sudden they came out and it was like t defenses. Hey, we're not going to give up the big play. We're not going to let Jamar Chase beat us down the field. We're going to make this team march it. These are young guys still in, in the big picture. Joe's an incredibly young player. These skill position guys are young. Zach Taylor's young. Their head coach. So I, I think they a bit of a wake-up call. They're like, hey, they're not going to let us keep doing the same stuff we did last year, right? Mm. Yeah, I mean, Joe Burrow, right, was born in 1996. He's 25 years old. And the defense that seems to get thrown at him is one that has been around for a long time. And that's covered too. And we've talked about this. We've talked about the too high safety thing a lot on this show. But I do want to remind everyone what cover two is, how this all figured into stopping those explosive plays. Yeah, I think for everybody out there, uh, essentially, you know, take Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, right? Maybe the two best outside receiver combinations in football. And typically, in, in the world of the NFL, really all coverages kind of get classified into to two realms, a, a two-high safety look or a split safety look or a single-high safety look. And, and to go real quick to a single-high safety look, picture like a center fielder in the deep middle of the field. Well, basically, that leaves... Jamar Chase and T. Higgins kind of one-on-one, -on -one, whether it be man or zone on the outside with the corners. When you have a really good player outside, the number one thing defenses do is let's take this away. So they they go to what a cover two, right? A split safety. So now you've got two high safeties that have really cut the field in half. And they are now over the top of these receivers who also have a corner on them as well, essentially playing two-on-one outside. Mm. With that, obviously you've taken a hat out of the box now. So you're really light inside the hashes and in the tackle box. Now you're, you're, you have one less defender in there. And so you're, you're almost daring them to run the football. You're daring them to throw it underneath a lot of these little short, you know, intermediate passing game over the middle. But it's the ultimate compliment is what you're saying to a yes. team that likes to attack through the air. This is the surface to air defense system that the NFL has developed time tested over decades. And you said that the key to this is to take the dare essentially, right? Like, I mean, they're daring you to run the ball. The problem it seems is that the Bengals, obviously like they were not good at that early in the season. No, it, it's hard though, Pablo. It's like, again, you got Jamar chase. So it's like a Zach, when you're Zach Taylor and the offensive staff and you're like drawn up plays, like got this awesome stuff for Jamar chase, <laughs> man. We're going to like, you know, 
we got all this great stuff for T. Higgins. Like we're just drawing right. up bombs we have these away. Ferraris. Why are we going to use the tractor? You know? Yeah. When you're game planning, I mean, these are like our best players. Let's get them the ball, right? And and last year, they were able to do that so much on the vertical passing game, right? These guys running down the field, whether it be go balls and fades or comebacks and deep ends and, um, you know, kind of back shoulder fades. But like when you play, when you get cover two to that, that, that stuff's just not there. Um, and and it's not to say that you can't push the ball downfield against that, but it, you, you got to get to it in different ways. And so... I think that's the adjustment that we saw, right? We saw this young coaching staff have to pivot because they really have pivoted. You watched them the last the last five weeks. They really have adjusted, running the football, again, throwing underneath. And they have one of the best possession receivers in football, I would say, in Tyler Boyd. I think there's a reason you've seen him. His catches and targets have gone through the roof these last few weeks because he's that guy. He's the guy in between the hashes short throw, long run. He's working against linebackers in space and zones and finding the soft spots. And also Joe Mixon running the football. Those are kind of the big pieces for them that that really combat the cover two. Yeah, I mean, in terms of how you schematically evolve your offense to attack cover two, which the ringer pointed this out and in a great story, they pointed out that no quarterback had more dropbacks against cover two than Joe Burrow in the first two weeks of the season. And then they had to shift and evolve to that. But in terms of like what you do with your run game, and this is where Alex, just transparently, I do want to get you to talk about like the RPO versus running under yeah, center. Yeah. Um, yep. What do you do as an offensive coordinator, um, as a quarterback, when you have, a, okay, I have a thing I need to do. They have a thing they're daring me to do. How can I yep. be clever about taking the dare? Well, you just said it, right? They had more called dropbacks versus cover two than anybody in football. And so... Just to take this all all the way back, right? This used to come. To, this used to come back to like the chess match of the offensive coordinator or play caller versus the D coordinator, and that historically it was just trying to anticipate what the other one was doing. So like, hey, I think he's going to play cover two, so we should run the ball, or I think, hey, they're going to pressure us here, so let's run something to beat that kind of thing. And there was this chess match. Well, then slowly, offenses evolved, and they got to the point where we talked about this. You can call multiple plays. Well, hey, let's just call a run play and a pass play. And we'll get up to the line and we let we got a smart quarterback. We'll let Joe Burrow get us in the right situation. And that does happen and that still goes on a lot in the NFL. I think we see this a lot. Green Bay does this a ton. Aaron Rodgers comes up, he uses his cadence. He he can tell if gets the safety to come down or go back, and then he gets them to the right play. Well, the next step to that is the RPO, this run pass option that essentially now you're just calling one play. And it's got a run component and a pass component built in. And so now the quarterback doesn't even need to be right. The play caller, this is a huge relief for the play caller. He doesn't <laughs> have to be right, right? Like you're Zach Taylor. Like, I, I don't have to try and guess or anticipate what the D coordinator's calling. I'm just going to call an RPO. I got a great quarterback who's had a lot of reps on this. And he's going to get up there. And based off the defensive look, He's either cover two going to run the ball. They're light in the box or, hey, they got an extra hat in the box. We got great numbers outside and he's going to throw whatever pass option they have in, right? And there's lots of forms of them now at this point. I mean, picks and bubbles and hitches and all kinds of stuff, little slants you can throw in behind. And, uh, And that's the beauty of the RPO, especially on first, second down. Offensive coordinators don't have to be right. Right. Just call the RPO. Let your great quarterback go out there and and make it right based <laughs> off what the defense presents. And uh, this has really changed offensive football. 
Yes, and I do want to deep dive with you into the RPO and its impact on football in a second because it's the staple that's everywhere. Every level of football has it at this point, and you have a very particular role in its creation that I do need to get to with you. But before we get there, I mean, it does feel like this offense has gotten a lot figured out. I mean, Joe Burrow threw for 481 yards. That's the number against the Falcons last week. But the news about Jamar Chase and how that changes all of this, I mean, it's a hip injury. It's four to six weeks. He's supposed to be out. How would you advise Joe Burrow, given that he's going to be going without his Ferrari for about a month? Yeah, I mean, it goes without saying, like, you're not going to be the same offense when you lose a guy like Jamar Chase, right? This He's in the category of the Tyreek Hills, the Randy Mosses. Like, this guy is has such big play potential. There's not a corner in football that I think you're scared of in a one-on-one situation. Mm. Like, if this guy's one-on-one, throw him the football. We've all seen what he can do. And so when you lose someone like that, when you lose someone like that, like, clearly you're not going to be the same. I will say, with that being said, timing is so funny in the NFL. Like, they got the Browns tonight on Mm -hmm. Monday Night Football. They got the Panthers next week. Then they have a bye, and then they have the Steelers. So, Ooh. Uh, you know, for we're, we're projecting the next, you know, yeah, that he potentially see, is in the four-week range. Yeah. Like, I, I agree. And they have other playmakers, right? I think T. Higgins, if he's on any other football team, is the guy. Like, he's the one. Tyler Boyd is one of the best slot receivers in football. Joe Mixon's one of the most dynamic backs in football. This offensive line is really kind of starting to come together. And then again, you got Joe Burrow. So, it can be done, right? Are they going to be the same? Of course not. However, this doesn't, take them off the table, right? I mean, they got a lot of weapons. This defense has continued to play really, really well, especially in second halves of football games. But I, I did think this was funny, and this is one of the questions I sat down, you know, with Joe. For all his accolades, right? I mean, for all the records that he's set and as prolific as he's been, this is a guy that's never beat the Cleveland Browns, Pablo. You've never beaten the Cleveland Browns. Yeah. You yeah. are 0-3. You're an Ohio kid. Yeah. This is a division rivalry. Right, what's your mindset going into this week? I mean, it's a must-win. It's a big game for us. Division game on the road. It's always tough against the Browns. You know, they always play well against us. So we, I mean, we got to go out and win the game. I mean, the Cleveland Browns. I mean, all I can think of again is this this back of that jersey with 700 quarterbacks' <laughs> names over the last 30 years. Everybody's beat the Cleveland Browns. I mean, come on. And a division game, obviously this division's incredibly competitive still, you know, with the Ravens winning on Thursday night. So it's going to be interesting to see how they adjust without Jamar. Up next, the interesting similarities between Alex Smith and Joe Burrow that might surprise you. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride 
every time, or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot, taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is, not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut, or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. So we've been talking about you and Joe Burrow and all of the almost eerie connections that you guys share in your careers and in your playing style. And Urban Meyer is at the center of that Venn diagram in many ways. Urban Meyer, of course, recruited Joe Burrow to Ohio State. You played for Urban at Utah, as we said. You both went number one overall in the NFL draft. But there is a deeper connection here, right? There's another overlap that's more obscure here, but might be even more meaningful. Yeah, this is something that I had caught wind of during... Joe's final year at LSU, that that national championship run that they went on, is that again to go back to my high school playing days, like I had one scholarship offer, and it all was because of the local recruiter at San Diego that was at the University of Utah. He was the DB coach. His name was Bill Bush, and he came down and saw something in me from the jump, and was adamant and really fought hard to get me the scholarship at Utah. And he was the only guy in the country. Well, I mean, Alex, let's let's remind people that you played with you you played with Reggie Bush. Like when people went to go yeah. see you in high school, I presume, like you sorry, you were not the guy that they actually went to see. No. In fact, this is a real story, Pablo. I put every single throw from my senior year, including incompletions and interceptions, on my reel, on my tape, like my recruiting tape, because I had so few pass attempts, right? Because Reggie was so good. You were like, look at the mechanics on this incompletion. Like, yeah, like I just, they needed to see more reps. And so I I just couldn't get recruited because I threw like five passes a game. (laughs) The weird thing was, obviously, we had a lot of colleges and recruiters around our campus because, you know, we had a Reggie amongst some other guys. that So like every college was there. And really my only way to kind of try to get recruited was like, I would just happen to be throwing when they came by. And that's really, you know, what what helped with Bill Bush and the University of Utah that kind of that helped get me my one offer to play college football. Mm. And my freshman year was a bit of a disaster. After the season, our coach gets fired. We hired this obscure coach named Urban Meyer. And obviously he's looking potentially to, to clear house on the staff. And I'll never forget the first thing Bill Bush did was go into his office. He didn't even know if he had a job still. He went into Urban and said, listen, you you got to go see this kid. His his freshman year was a disaster. You got to go make it right. You need to keep him. Well, I come to find out when Joe Burrow, obviously he's not named the starter at Ohio State and I think is is looking to transfer and look puts his name in the transfer portal. 
Bill Bush happened to be a coach at LSU and had a couple ties to Joe Burrow. And Joe even told me when we were talking that LSU kind of came out of nowhere. Like he's from Ohio. He has no connections to Louisiana, except that it's this, it's Bill Bush. And so he goes into to Coach O's office and is pushing hard. Like this is the guy that's going to take us to the college playoff, fighting to get him to LSU. And, and kind of the, the, the rest is history. And I just think it's obviously a funny tie of like the, the football world. And, and here's a guy that changed my career. And then at the same time, had the vision, obviously, to uh, do the same thing for Joe and get him down to LSU. But in terms of the history at play here, the other deeper connection you have is that offensive device that we talked about earlier that Joe Burrow has mastered in college and now in the NFL. And the RPO, the run pass option, which we mentioned earlier, I knew that you and Urban Meyer were really one of the first teams at Utah to popularize the RPO in college. But what I did not realize, Alex, until preparing for this show was that Urban Meyer, who I've made many jokes about for other reasons in the past, for the record there too, he actually credits you with inventing this. Pablo, as much as I would love to take credit for this, I don't know if I can. You know, I go back to my college days. Yeah, we were running this incredibly radical offense. I mean, I, I never played with a tight end or a fullback. I, I played <laughs> wide open. I took almost every single college snap in the shotgun. But wait, because there's, uh, for the record here, and you are a humble person, but we found a clip of Urban Meyer explaining the RPO and its origin story on Fox from a couple years ago. And this is what he said. At Utah, this is the a mistake or missed assignment by the H-back that we kind of fell into. He ran a bubble instead of blocking the man. Alex Smith's my quarterback. Here we go. Set and go. I read you. I get a pull. I think you're going to block the outside linebacker. I start to run. Alex Smith, being the very intelligent player that he is, flips it out there, and he takes off running. I'm standing in the back back here. and was like, what was that play? <laughs> Kyle Winningham, my D coordinator, comes running at me with a script. I said, I've never seen that play before. What is that? And I said, I look at Dan Mullins. So I've never seen that either. Do it again. <laughs> that was the evolution wow. of the spread offense. Wow. So when you listen to that, your old coach, tell this on the set of Fox on national TV. What, what do you remember about that moment? God, you know, obviously we, we were on the practice field. We were just playing against our defense. And, you know, my second year, we had always kind of talked about or fooled about, you know, like doing more. And so predominantly the year before we, we ran like elementary zone read, right? Like where the whole offensive line blocks to the left. You leave the right defensive end unblocked. And now I'm meshing with the running back in the shotgun and we're reading him, right? Like if he closes down the line, I pull it and the receiver's out there blocked for me, right? And, and, and Urban was like, he used to be an ex-receiver coach and he was on these guys about their blocking ability. Like if you couldn't block as a receiver, you were never going to play under Urban. Like he was... He was like maniacal about these guys blocking for the quarterback because, right, that's that's the whole risk here is like quarterback pulling and now DBs and safeties filling and, and you getting hit. This play had happened and all of a sudden I pull the ball, right, and take a couple steps. Well, the DB had filled and we hadn't, I can't remember the receiver, hadn't blocked, right? So this DB mm. right on the edge is, is coming at me. Well, I just instinctively chuck the ball to the receiver, you know, almost like you would in basketball. Like he's right. You didn't block the guy, but you're, you're, you're open now, right? Like the guy that was supposed to be covering you tried to tackle me. So I'm just going to throw it to you. And I'm still behind the line of scrimmage. 
and and it turned into uh, you know a big play and uh you know it, it slowly like it became part of this right we would call these plays that yeah now all of a sudden incorporated not only did i have a run option reading the defensive end but i also had a pass option based off the next defender whether it be like a stacked linebacker or a nickel db so if he wanted to cheat in the box and play me that i could now flip it out on a bubble to this to this receiver so you all of a sudden now you had three options right i could hand it to the running back i could pull and run or i could pull and throw and and then again to go back to the beauty of this is like these are plays we just we ran all the time like we didn't have that many run plays in fact there were only like a handful so we just you ran these over and over and over again you had so many reps that like all of a sudden you know you're playing with a receiver that kind of screws up and we kind of fell into this uh, so to speak, and it really did become a big part of our offense. My 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 last year at Utah on our on our run uh, to the BCS, it was something that kind of became a, a staple. I, I just like that you're, you know, Benjamin Franklin flying a kite during a thunderstorm moment is a receiver who can't block. Yeah, and it's really born out of self preservation, right? I don't <laughs> <laughs> this unblock unblocked defenders running at me here. You take the ball. But the, the, the beauty of it was that, yeah, on one play, there was always multiple options. And especially for me in my last year there, it was a, as it was my second year in the offense, that they continued to just put, you know, more and more on my plate. And I continued to, to love it, right? Like, I just give me, give it to me. Let, let me go out there on the field. And again, like, hey, that's open over there to the left. They got too many guys in the box. Like, I'll just throw it over there. And like, hey, they're spread out and we got good numbers in the box and let's run it. No, you guys crashed the BCS party on the back of this play. You guys go 12-0 and 0 that year and shock everybody. Yeah, and I obviously was incredibly lucky to be around some, you know, brilliant minds. Dan Mullen was also, you know, heavily involved in that, that construction. And so they obviously expanded on it with Tim Tebow and, you know, like won national championships. Obviously, we saw Urban continued to do it at Ohio State with it. But when, you know, it's so funny when I got drafted, it was kind of considered gimmicky. Like Correct. I, I ran this gimmicky, I ran this gimmicky <laughs> offense in college, and there really was a big stigma for me to to prove that I could be a quote unquote like pro style quarterback. Right. Fast forward now to to 2020. I'm trying to come back uh, from my injury. We have a brand new offense coming in with Scott Turner at, at Washington, and we're we're full bore on all this RPO stuff. And I've obviously seen it's slow evolution in the NFL over my my career, but I'm loving it and encouraging it. And we're watching tape on the LSU Tigers and Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and Justin <laughs> Jefferson RPOing almost every play to on their death. way to one of the yeah. a national championship and one of the best teams in the history of college football. Because they had really they had really taken it to another level. This was an RPO that now Pablo, they were RPOing in the pocket from the gun and throwing like 15-yard post routes in behind to these guys, right? Like, so as you can picture this, Joe Burrow's meshing with the, the running back in the shotgun on a downhill run. And as the safeties fill in the run game, he's pulling the ball and throwing these just knifing post routes in behind to Jamar Chase and, and Justin Jefferson. And this kind of like a little bit, honestly, lit the world on fire. Like the next... You still see it more and more in the NFL. Teams still run this. And it all kind of came from the LSU Tigers and what they were doing with Joe Burrow and those guys. So let's talk about this because because part of the run-pass option thing that Urban Meyer has explained is that it's run-pause-pass option, right? It's, it all starts off looking like you're about to run the ball. Yeah, and the run's always the first call, typically, right? Like Urban famously, even though we were spread out like this 
you know, pass happy offense. It's really not. When we were in meetings to the whole team, like we are a physical run the football team. Yeah, we're in the shotgun. It's a different way to do it. You know, for me looking at the Bengals in the first couple of weeks, you could tell when when they wanted to run the football because all of a sudden Joe Burrow's under center and they're <laughs> running kind of a pro style stretch run game or something. And the pass game didn't look like that at all. And so you kind of have this schizophrenic offense a little bit and there's there's tells to it, right? Just based off formation, these guys look at the stats like, hey, when Burrow's under center, like they're in a tight ends attached, they're running the ball 75% of the time, you know? Which seems even to me, Alex, as a pretty obvious tell. When the guy is under center, they're gonna run it. Yeah, and that's the beauty again of the RPO. You really have to be in the gun to do it. And so now everything does look the same, right? They have no idea. And and, and again, the, the defense doesn't even know what's called, right? Like they can't be right. They're, they're playing cover two. We're going to run the ball. We got good numbers in the box. Joe Mixon, one of the better backs in the NFL, especially now he's in space and and vice versa. They do finally, you've, you've been driving it and all of a sudden you call the exact same play and there's they bring the safety down in the box. You got the good look outside and, and you're throwing it to one of your playmakers out there. So uh, I think we've really seen that evolution here these last five weeks with the Bengals. It's what the best offenses in, in football are doing. It really looks a lot like what goes on up in Buffalo. It looks a lot what, like what's happening in Kansas City. I can't help but think of like, you know, in like Top Gun, they got the radar rolling around. Yeah. And like, it was just this, it was just these two teams on the radar, right? It was just like the Bills <laughs> and, and Chiefs. And like, here we are week seven. It just rolled around and like, bloop, yep. like oh, couple another, more team, MIGs. another team, couple more yeah. MIGs on our one, tail. Yeah. One more team, one more team just popped up on the radar because I think... We, we saw what they did at the end of last year in the playoffs. Like, this team can hang with anybody. So, also on the radar here, as we wind down, Alex, is another question that is related to how a quarterback disguises his plans. Because it is Halloween. Joe Burrow is known for his outfits. He's known for his fashion sense. He's facing Miles Garrett, who is known for being uh, the over-the-top dad in the neighborhood who goes all out on his yard around this time of year. So what are we about to see here? Joe, uh, you know, he just talked about it, like his his self-confidence, right? And we've seen that kind of come out in some of the outfits that he wears that that, that take that level of confidence. I know I, I certainly wouldn't be able to pull, pull these off. And... I asked him about it. It's obviously, it's Monday night football, man, Halloween night. Uh, you got anything in store? Dude, it's Monday night football. It's Halloween night. You've obviously have worn some, you know, awesome fits in the past. Do you have anything planned, the yeah. costume-wise or anything? I was thinking about it today. I'm going to have to find a costume. Yeah. I didn't, I kind of forgot it was Halloween. You know, the season rolls on and kind of, you kind of lose track of the outside world. Yeah. I'm going to have to figure that out. Yeah. On that same kind of note, you know, Miles Garrett, the guy you're going up against, Last year, famously, had the cemetery in his front yard. Mm -hmm. You made the cut. This year, he's got the Stranger Things theme with uh, Vecna's lair. Mm. You make the cut again yeah. in the lair. He sacked uh, me a any, couple any, times any, in his day. Thoughts, <laughs> any thoughts on that? I think he can. He's one of those guys in the league that you know you talk about in terms of the elite, the elite pass rushers. And he definitely gets after the passer. He sacked me many a time. And so, you know, we'll see tonight what he brings to the table. But uh, I, I think that's the cool thing with football is that it happens over all the major holidays, right? Uh, it, it's all fall. It's Halloween. It's Thanksgiving. It's Christmas. It's New Year's. Like, you have to find the balance of, like, obviously uh, working hard. But on these holidays, you got to find time, right? You got the player party where you're dressing up. 
they get to play on Halloween night here and they're the only show on. And so I, I hope these guys embrace it and hopefully get, we get some fun, fun costumes or, uh, or outfits rolling. So what are you doing though? Because this is specifically <laughs> important to your household. Yeah. yeah. You know, we've really dug ourselves a hole. My wife and I. The bar's like, too high. Started, it started, I know it started out with our like kids very little and it was like cute and innocent and sweet. And like every year we've just like notched it up more and more. And I feel like we've, yeah, we've said we've got, we've, the bar's too high. I mean, you were the Joker one year. You're, you're, yeah. you, you were a guy being attacked by sharks. Your children who were yeah. gnawing on your leg. Yeah. Well, like, it, yeah. And again, it's it started out as these like very mainstream things, right? Like, hey, this is these are costumes are easy to get. And now we've gone more and more in like niche, so they're <laughs> they're harder to get. We got to be more creative. You know, we always got like one up last year. So I think we got a fun one in in store for tonight. And uh, I'm kind of sworn to secrecy. Wow. This is the wife's. This is her baby. <laughs> and so I don't think she'd be happy if I revealed it here. Man, you know what? Alex Smith, a quarterback to the very end, stymieing his interviewer. That's right. I haven't lost it. I haven't lost it, Bob. <laughs> but you are, you are, for the record here, a, a an objectively pro-style podcaster. So thank you for joining us. I uh, appreciate that, man. Thanks, Pablo. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And I'll talk to you tomorrow.